Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little, and we are here today with episode 200 of Weekly Poker Hand. Since this is episode 200, we're going to be making a few slight changes. Number one, I'm going to put my face on here for you, because apparently people like seeing other people's faces. Um, secondly, we're going to start going over live poker hands, as opposed to hands that I played and then uploaded to the internet. And the main reason for that is because I want to be able to give you content that is very applicable to you. I'm not trying to go over like super high stakes hands or tournaments in games where everyone's playing very close to game theory optimal because I recognize from talking to all of you at the table and through emails and whatnot that that is not the game that you play. So what we're going to be doing at least for the foreseeable future, is we're going to be using content from Stone's Gambling Hall. I've been going there to commentate on a somewhat regular basis. And in exchange for that, they're going to let me use their footage in my videos. I'm not trying to steal footage like a lot of other people. I'm trying to get licenses to use the content, and Stone's has given me that. So we're going to be going through mostly small and medium stakes games, and I'm going to be finding hands where I can... I guess you can call it critique the play of the players at the table. Please realize if you are being critiqued in these videos, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or call you bad or anything like that. I'm trying to point out to my students things that people do wrong on a regular basis so that they can get better at poker. My audience here is hopefully here to try to improve their poker skills. They're not here to necessarily be entertained or you know, have a beer and relax. They are here to get better at poker. So I want to teach you to get better at poker. And we're going to do that by using footage from a lot of small and medium stakes games. And fortunately, in most small and medium stakes games, a lot of people make a lot of errors on a very regular basis. So these episodes may start to get a little bit longer because now I'm not only going to look at the hand from my point of view or the hero's point of view, I'll look at it from everyone's point of view. And that will allow us to get lots and lots of great content so that you can apply that to your game and get better. So let's go ahead and get to it. Also, if you are listening to this on iTunes, please realize you can actually watch this with full video of live poker at jonathanlittlepoker.com WPH. That's where I keep the podcast. And also on YouTube, you can just search Jonathan Little Weekly Poker Hand and I'm sure it'll come right up. So today's game is a 5-5 five, five game like I said, from Stone's Gambling Hall. And it folds around to Scott, who raises to 20 bucks, four big blinds, with ace-10 offsuit from under the gun plus three, which I believe is the low jack seat. And I think that's perfectly fine. Ace-10 is not an amazing hand, but it is acceptable. Folds around to Jason M. on the button with um, an effective, let's just call it 200 big blind stack. As you see, everyone is playing about $1,000 with ace two offsuit, and he decides to call on the button. All right, first things first, this is definitely a mistake to call on the button with ace two offsuit. When facing a four big blind raise, you either need to be folding or three betting, and pretty much always folding. And that's because if you think about any sort of reasonable early position raising range or low jack raising range, all the aces they're raising have ace two dominated. King queen, king jack, king 10, etc., are all very live. And even if you make an ace, you could still be in bad shape, which is the case in this scenario. Like right here, Scott, raising from the low jack seat, has ace-10, which completely dominates ace-2. So I really don't like calling on the button here. This is a mistake that you will see players make on a very regular basis, and it costs them a huge amount of money. And really, 
you will see virtually no one making this play in the high stakes games. And that is because it is definitively not good. So just fold. Folds around to Frank in the small blind who calls with 7-5 offsuit. Frank is a very splashy player. I've actually played with him at Stone's Gambling Hall. He beat me out of 2,500 bucks the other day at a $1, $3 game. So figure that one out. Frank was straddling the 200 blind sometimes. So that makes logical sense. <laughs> um, Frank calls 7-5 offsuit. Clearly a face two offsuits bad. 7-5 offsuit is also not great. But he splashes around because Frank loves splashing. And now it gets around to Bill in the big blind slash... Well, it says under the gun. Maybe he... Maybe these graphics are slightly wrong. Let's see. Perhaps Bill limped under the gun with um, King five, King 7 suited. I guess if you limp, you might as well put in 15 more. But I would not have limped King 7 suited. And if you're in the big blind closing the action, it's probably okay to call, but you're really not loving it. You will find that one very clear pattern in the small stakes games is that people play way too loosely preflop. All right, flop comes queen, queen, five, two diamonds. So, again, if you're listening to this on iTunes, it may be tough to follow, but Bill, under the gun, has a flush draw. Frank, in the small blind, has bottom pair. Then the other two players both have ace high. So I definitely think Frank should check. Bill, who limp called under the gun, should certainly check as well. Scott elects to check with his ace 10. And now it's around to Jason on the button who is going to decide to bet. The pot's 85 bucks. He decides to bet with his ace two offsuit on queen, queen five to $55. And I think this is fine just because whenever the board is very dry, like it is here, quite often you're just going to pick it up by betting. That said, ace two offsuit here is really, really bad. So I think I would probably just check and give up. It's hard for me to say exactly what I would do in this spot for, and if I was Jason, because when you limp hands like ace two offsuit, you're sort of saying that I expect to be able to pick up this pot a lot of the time after the flop, because otherwise you wouldn't play ace two offsuit. And Jason seems to be reasonable enough, so it's not like he's making this play with no plan. So he probably presumes people are going to be too tight after the flop. So he decides to bet 55. Now it's long to Frank in the small blind, who just instantly folds 7-5 for bottom pair. And that may seem tight, and I'm actually shocked to see Frank fold this, but whenever there are multiple players in this pot, bottom pair, no kicker, is going to have a really tough time defending on multiple streets. Like, imagine um, it just goes bet, 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 right? The 7-5 on queen, queen, 5, whatever, 9, jack, is just not going to be that good of a hand. So I actually don't mind folding at all. Um, next, Bill decides to fold king, 7, suited, which was a flush draw, king seven of diamonds. There were two diamonds on the flop and he decides to just fold as well. And um, while I can certainly defend the seven five fold, the king seven suited fold is way too tight. If your opponent on the button happens to have a five, you have two over cards and a flush draw, which is great. If your opponent had a queen, well, you have outs to a flush. And if your opponent has nothing, well, you're in great shape, right? So this is a spot where I definitely think Bill with his king seven of diamonds should have raised or called, one of the two. Uh, I would typically lean towards raising my worst flush draws and calling with my best flush draws. So this one's somewhere in the middle, so I, I think you can really go either way in this spot. And if you were to raise, I'd probably make it about 150 bucks. I would put Scott in a pretty bad, not Scott, it would put uh, Jason in a pretty bad spot betting on the button, unless he has pretty much exactly a queen. So I would definitely love a raise from Bill 
in this scenario. But he just folds, and this is way too tight. I do understand the board is paired, but you have to ask, does Jason ever have queen five? I mean, this is pretty much impossible. Does he ever have pocket fives? I mean, maybe, but even if he has a queen, if you make your flush, you're going to get paid, right? So it's a great spot to peel. Gets back around to Scott, who decides to call. So Scott realizes here, he has a very marginal made hand. I know Scott plays a lot of heads-up poker, and you'll find a lot of the heads-up players are very sticky, and they are more happy than most players to check, looking to check call with a lot of marginal made hands. And I think that's just good poker for the most part. So when he gets back around to Scott, 55 into a pot that if he calls, will go up to 195. It's dicey. He needs to win about 28% of the time or so, and he probably will. This ace-10, though, kind of runs, has the same problem as the 7-5 for bottom pair no kicker, right? But um, Scott Ball does have the ace of diamonds, giving a backdoor flush draw. We know all the diamonds are dead, though. But I don't hate the call, but this is going to lead to pretty dicey spots for Scott. If he knows Jason really loves to bluff, then it may make sense for him to limp or to check call in this scenario, looking to check call the turn and maybe even the river. You just have to be careful that you're not only check calling in this scenario, looking to check fold on the turn. Um, and that's something a lot of players make the mistake of. They'll check call with, for example, 7-5, right? On queen-queen-five, turn will be a blank. They'll check their opponent will bet and they'll fold. Um, and that's fine if you're also check calling some queens and some hands like pocket eights and whatnot. The problem is that a lot of players check raise their hands like a queen on queen, queen five, and that makes their check calling range very weak. And when your range is weak, you have to make sure you're defending it reasonably well, especially if your opponents are competent. And in this scenario, I would actually say Jason on the button is probably overly aggressive. So in that case, you have to defend even more so. So anyway, Scott decides to call. I can guarantee he's going to check the turn, which is what he does. Gets back around to Jason, and he has to decide now if he wants to try to bluff again. The turn is a 7, an offsuit 7. I think he should probably keep bluffing. I mean, the problem is if he's bluffing this, he's presumably bluffing all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, there are flush draws available, there are backdoor straight draws, and there are backdoor flush draws that he could have decided to bet the flop with. So he should have all sorts of garbage here. And if he's bluffing all of that garbage that makes logical sense, and he's bluffing hands like ace-2, which don't even make a whole lot of sense, then he's bluffing way too much. That said, I mean, if he's playing this hand preflop, he's probably playing it looking to make the opponents fold too often, because that's what he thinks they're going to do. And so he keeps betting, and I guess I don't mind it. I mean, it's probably better than checking and giving up. The problem with checking is that if you check and then Scott bets the river, you have to fold every time. But if you bet the turn and Scott calls... He may be calling with some draws, like flush draws, in which case he's actually calling with the worst hand. So this is a spot where I think Jason should bet about what he did. He bet 115 into the 195 pots, I believe. And I think that's fine. I don't know if you're ever going to get a 7 or a 5 to fold for that bet, but I think it's acceptable. You are probably going to need to fire the river, though, if you miss. Scott, though, is a complete unbeliever. Like I said, Scott's a heads-up player. He's a bit of a calling station. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with being a calling station because quite often if your opponent's bluffing too much, the way you beat someone who bluffs too much is by not folding. This is vitally important. If you know someone has the leak in their game of bluffing too frequently, the worst thing you can do is fold too often. So Scott clearly realizes that here, and he likes to stick around. So pretty optimistic stick around, but great in this spot and probably just great against this opponent. River's an ace. So both players improve the top pair. Scott should definitely check. 
Now, Jason has to decide if he wants to value bet. And I don't know. The problem is, is that if Scott did have an ace high flush draw, it's going to be better than your hand. And sometimes the kicker is relevant and obviously he's never folding. Scott could also be slow playing a queen. Scott's also going to be somewhat unlikely to pay off on the river now with a five when the ace comes on the river. So I think this is a spot where you definitely need to check behind with your ace too. Expecting to beat the busted flush draws, but not really loving it. You probably do lose here more often than not when you check, but it's a, it's a situation where you will see some players who are just mindlessly betting fire again, but I don't really expect Jason to bet here because I think Jason does play reasonably well. So I expect him to check because it's hard to get paid. So let's see what he does. Like I said, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can watch it on YouTube or on JonathanLittlePoker.com. And sure enough, Jason does check. So Scott ends up winning this pot. And whenever you see this situation from Jason's point of view, you bet the flop, your opponent called with ace high. You bet the turn, your opponent called with ace high. That should let you know that your opponent thinks you bluff too much. Okay, taking that information forward, what should you do? Not necessarily against everyone, but against your opponent, Scott, in this scenario. Well, you should be bluffing way less often and value betting way thinner. This can mean value betting stuff like bottom pair or middle pair on the flop and the turn. And also just not bluffing with somewhat obvious bluff spots, like when you have a gut shot or something like that. So when you see your opponent making an adjustment or just playing way too loosely, either one, I mean, for all we know, Scott's just an extreme calling station and never folds. I don't think that's the case, but if you do think your opponent is not folding to you for whatever reason, adjust. Don't sit there and keep bluffing this player because it's not going to work. And for all I know, Jason's strategy to play very aggressively may just be completely bad in this game. Um, that said, we did see his other two opponents fold bottom pair and a flush draw. So maybe his line of calling on the button is not so bad if your opponents are just going to check and then check fold hands with a reasonable amount of equity. So that's going to be it for this hand. I want to thank you all for being here. Let me know what you think of the new format. If you want only Jonathan Little hands, let me know. If you want to see more small and medium stakes live poker hands, let me know that as well. Um, I'll probably do a mix of tournaments and cash games. I imagine we'll get a better selection of in-depth hands and cash games just because stacks are usually deeper. And at the final table, usually players are playing somewhat short stack. That is what most of the content for tournaments are at Stones. They're the final table. So we're probably gonna go for some cash games for a bit and we'll see how it goes. Thank you all for being here. I'll talk to you next week.